Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. How are you guys doing? Welcome to Grace Life. Good to see you. So, hey, we are in a series, a three-part series on Nehemiah. Today is part two, and it's a very short study. We're not learning everything there is to learn about Nehemiah. We're focusing on one simple theme, and it's the theme of how we can build beyond ourselves. We're looking at how Nehemiah did something, matter of fact, how specifically he built something in the natural that ultimately ended up changing lives. And so we're looking at the parallel of how we too can build something in the natural that also will change our lives. So we want to be very clear. We started this last week and and upfront about what we're doing. There is a specific goal and a message for this series. And it is how we as a church family uh, have decided two years ago that God was telling us it's time to go and do something and make room for other people. Because there's, we're just running out of room. That's the simple truth. We've gone to three services, and, and it's crowded. It's more crowded in the kids' world than anywhere else. And so God says, if you want to reach more people, we've got to make room for them. And we began this journey two years ago. And so what we've been doing every March, because we are growing so quickly and we have so many people who are new to Grace Life, is each March along the way, we stop and say, hey, if you're new to Grace Life and this is your home church, we'd love for you to be a part of building with us. And so we're taking these three weeks to simply have a family moment as a church. And so we just want to say that. But at the same time, if you're a guest, we want you to feel absolutely no pressure. If you're not sure yet if Grace Life is your church, no pressure. There's going to be plenty for us to learn just from Nehemiah for all of us. So uh, if this is something God calls you to be a part of, great. And if not, then let's, let's learn how we can do something significant with our lives from Nehemiah. Sound good? No pressure? You guys awake? I don't understand. The Gamecocks did not play late last night. So you guys, no, I just, I didn't mean that negatively. It wasn't like, no, whatever. Oh, that's what you meant. I didn't mean at all that you guys weren't playing and my team still was. No offense. I wasn't saying that at all. I should shut up so my team will keep playing. Anyway, there you go. All right, so as we said, we started this last week, and in part one of the series, we talked about how Nehemiah did something that we needed to do. The first was he became aware of something, and then he got a burden to do something about it, and then the last part is he did something. He actually stepped out, and he took a step of action, but what we pointed out last week is this wasn't based on his great resume. It wasn't about his skill. It wasn't about his talent. It wasn't about anything in his life other than faith. He just said, I've got to do something. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. And that's what we want to look at today is how we also are going to be challenged by God to step out and do something in faith. Maybe it's for you leading a life group. That whole thing about can I lead a kingdom of God group for six weeks? Can for six weeks I get somebody together and and put them in my living room and actually help them grow? I don't know. See, that would require a step of faith. Maybe it's teaching others what you've learned. You decide to to do a little Bible study before work with some of your co-workers, and you're, I don't know if I have anything to teach. It would require faith, touching lives, giving sacrificially. Whatever God would require you to do is going to require faith, especially when you don't think you have a resume either, especially when you don't think you have all that much to offer, just like Nehemiah. There's a really important verse for all of us that's not out of Nehemiah. I just want to show it to you before we get started. It's actually out of Hebrews. And it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
But he goes on to explain why that is. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he's, he's there, must believe he exists, must believe he's responding, and he actually would reward those who seek him. So wait a minute, God, you're telling me if I would step out in faith and choose to, to gather some people and say, you know, let me tell you what I know about Jesus. You, you, you're telling me God will reward me as I seek him. You're telling me as I get up every morning and say, let me see what God's word has for me, that he will reward me because I'm seeking him. Yes. Because it requires faith for you to open this up and believe that the God of heaven is going to speak to you. It requires faith to say that this will change my life more than sleeping for another hour. It requires faith to do whatever it is that God's putting in your heart. Simple truth is if you want your life to make a difference, you're going to need faith like Nehemiah. And if as a church we want to make a difference, we're going to need faith like Nehemiah. And so that's our theme for today is learning how to respond in faith. So last week, if you became aware and if you got a burden, if you decided you're going to do something about it, now we want to add the ingredient of the faith that Nehemiah had. So before we get into looking at Scripture, I want to catch us up. Maybe some of you weren't here last week. Maybe the story of Nehemiah is a new one. So about 160 years before Nehemiah, the Israelites, the Jewish people had been conquered. Most of the world had been conquered by the Babylonians. They had been carried off and taken into exile. They were living as servants and slaves but then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And when we pick up the story, Nehemiah is actually still living as an exile. And he is at the right hand of the king. He's got a wonderful job. He is the cupbearer to the king. And you can say, wait a minute, I thought his job was to test everything. And if the king is getting poisoned, he dies first. Yes, but that didn't happen often. So outside of the slight risk, he had a great job. He lived in the palace. He was at the king's right hand. He had the king's ear. The king cared for his welfare because the, new, the king knew if he took care of him that Nehemiah would take care of the king. And so he had a really good life. But then at the beginning of the story, he finds out that things back home aren't good. Even though people have been allowed to go home, nobody's actually doing anything to rebuild or to protect Jerusalem. They're still poor. There's still a famine. They still can't protect themselves because there is no wall around the city. There are no gates. And he decides to do something about it. So the question for us today is where did he get the faith to do something about it? If you've got your Bibles, you can go with me. We're going to make hit little parts all between Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 4 today. So you have to jump around. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind my head. And, and so in chapter 1, verse 5, here's what Nehemiah does. He prays. Then I, Nehemiah, said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. Okay, that's a great intro. Now, what are you going to pray? So jump down to verse 8. And here's what he prays. He says, remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Well, here's the sad truth. They were unfaithful. And this had happened. 160 years earlier, God had allowed them to be scattered because they were no longer worshiping God as the one true God. They were no longer following his law. They were no longer acknowledging him as their source for everything. So this part was already fulfilled. But here's the good news. He went on to say, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. You know where that was? Jerusalem. 
the place that Nehemiah cared about. See, that's what God was doing at this point. They had turned. They had repented. They had said, God, forgive us. Take us back. And so 95 years earlier, God had sent the Persians to conquer the Babylonians to begin to allow them to go back home. He was gathering the people. And Nehemiah simply wanted to be part of what God was already doing. So what did he quote when he prayed? God's word. What did he ask God to help him do? God's word. Are y'all seeing the theme here? It was all about what God had said. He was rebuilding the very place that God had said. This is the place that is the dwelling for my name. So here's the first principle we're going to learn today. Faith starts with God's word. Faith starts with God's word. Too often we get an idea and make it up and say, that's what I have faith for. And that's the difference if you've ever been around, uh, you know, like a faith movement or a prosperity doctrine. And maybe you get a little gun shy when a pastor starts talking about we need more faith. Faith is not whatever idea you come up with and then decide God's going to deliver for you. I need a better car. I need a new car. I need the best car that's on the planet. I need one you can't even buy here in South Carolina. You got to go to like Miami or New York. I don't know if that's faith. I don't know that that starts with God's word, right? Is that right? I might have just gotten in trouble with some of you. No, no, faith begins with what God says. That's what we can hold on to. We can't hold on to something that we think we want materialistically. We've got to hold on to what God's promise is to us. How could he pray the word? Because he knew God's word. See, it starts with knowing God's word. And the absolute truth is the best way for us to know God's word uh, or to know God's will and to learn to hear his voice is by simply reading his word daily. Prioritize it. Read it. Memorize it. Speak it. Pray it. Live it. If you want to have faith for God's word, you've got to know what his word is saying. And here's the truth. The more that you know what God's written word says, the better you're going to be able to learn to hear his spiritual spoken voice. God still speaks to his people today. Do y'all know that? God is a spiritual God. The Bible tells us God is spirit. And he fills every one of his believers with his Holy Spirit. We can hear the voice of God. But in order to get used to hearing God's spiritual voice, we begin with the foundation of knowing what's in God's written voice. When we first began this campaign, one of the, the best stories I've heard is one guy in our church struggling with this very thing. Because just a few months in, he came, his wife came to him. She had prayed one morning and she said, honey, I think God wants us to give half of our savings to this building fund. Now, men, anybody with me, you'd go like, I don't think so, honey. They had been saving for years to pay off their house. They were a young 30-something couple. Both had jobs. This was not somebody who was wealthy. This was easy for them to accomplish. This was years and years and years of going. Where, where, and then the wife says, I think this is what we're supposed to do. His first response is, heck no. But then he goes to talk to God about it. And the first thing that comes to his mind is what's in his written word. Wait a minute, God will ask us to do something sacrificial like move halfway around the world. He told Paul to go and preach the gospel. God might tell us to do something out of our comfort zone. Okay, there we go, that's one. God might tell us to actually give towards something for him. It's all the way from Moses building the tabernacle, Solomon building the temple, uh, the, the New Testament where they're giving for the Jews who have nothing, they're in a famine, so all the churches all across are sending money back to Jerusalem to take care of them, giving sacrificially is all throughout scripture hearing god's voice and so he went and he prayed and said okay and that's exactly what they did now here's the bad news 
and we might need to pay attention for this because truth is, for most of us here today, this point matters more than any other. Faith always encounters resistance. Faith always encounters resistance. Whatever you feel like God has told you to do, you are going to get resistance. Nehemiah chapter 2 He begins to do this very thing. He got permission from the king to go back home to lead the project in rebuilding the wall. The king had even given him materials and supplies and money and said, I'm going to help this. So he's like, okay, great, we're going to do this thing. But then, says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. Means he's not even home yet. He's still on the way. Come on, anybody ever taken a step of faith and you not even got there yet and suddenly everything's already going wrong? He says, I I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters. You think that would be like no trouble? Hey, I'm just a messenger. Here is what the king says. But no. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Wow, still is that not enough to keep the resistance at bay? No. Because when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They had enemies. They had people sworn against their welfare. And as soon as these guys heard about it, there was resistance. Here's the simple uh, issue we all face here. If you are taking a faith step for your life, like maybe you decide you're going to teach somebody else what you know about Jesus, If you're taking a faith step for your life, maybe something in God's word, you're going to make a lifestyle change. You're going to cut off a relationship that you know God has put on your heart, or you're going to begin to do something that his word tells you to do. If we are going to take a a faith step as as a church to build something that's going to be a beacon to this community, then here's the truth. In every case, we will face and we should expect resistance. Here's the mind blowing part is we get surprised about this. Do I have any like sci-fi Star Wars nerds in the room? You like this kind of thing? A couple. You didn't do it very boldly. So anyway, I did a a series on on spiritual warfare not not too long ago, and I used this as an example in in Star Trek. Actually, sorry, in Star Trek, there's this group of people called the Borg, and and they take over entire planets and and races of people, and they have one phrase as they're doing it because they've all kind of become like half robot type things, and they just go up to the people they're trying to conquer and say, resistance is futile, resistance is futile. And so I did a spinoff of that, and we did an entire message in a spiritual warfare series called Resistance is Standard. Get used to it. If you are going to commit your life to serving God, resistance is standard. If you are going to focus your marriage on honoring God, resistance is standard. If you are going to commit your finances to being godly and and to giving sacrificially to something, resistance is standard. It doesn't matter what you do. If you seek to do something for God, resistance will come. But we're surprised about it. Come on, anybody? Aren't we always surprised and frustrated when it happens? But it's standard. We shouldn't be. If you're doing something God's way, the enemy is going to come against you. If you are doing something significant for God, the enemy will come against you. And the reason is incredibly simple. He wants to replace your faith with fear. He wants to take the faith that you were operating on and put fear in its place. I want to give you a little saying. If you want to go and write something on your fridge, this is what you should write on your fridge. Faith is confidence in God. Now, some of you think the next line is fear is a lack of confidence in God. But no, 
Fear is not a lack of confidence at all. Fear is actually confidence also, but fear is confidence in the resistance. Fear is looking at the circumstances or whatever's in your soul or the person that's opposing you or the devil himself and having more confidence in what opposes you than the very thing God told you to do in the first place. See, faith is confidence in God. Fear is confidence in the resistance. If you think it's easy for me to stand up here and preach this, you're kidding yourself. I can't tell you the number of times that I wake up either in the middle of the night or early in the morning and the first thought is, who do you think you are? Come on, anybody hear that voice sometimes? Why do you think you can lead those people to do something important? Who do you think you are? And then you add to it right now, our current struggle is we're doing a $4 million project. And I'm just going to tell you, I grew up here in the South in a blue collar family. I don't have like miracle money stories. Money is probably the number one thing that requires faith that I feel like I don't have faith for. And some of you are like, oh, that's no problem. Every time I need something, I pray a miracle check shows up in the mail. Some of you have those stories. I've never had those stories. Never. I've had the stories where there was not enough money to pay the mortgage, and so you check the mail on the day it's due. There's nothing there. And what I learned was, get a budget. Because God's not giving me a miracle check down to the penny. Like some of you have those stories. I've never seen those stories. And so when we begin to lead ourselves into a project that's going to require $4 million, I'm kind of going, I don't know that I can do this. And then especially when the contractor says, oh, we found something we didn't know about and it's over budget. Maybe you're making, I don't know if you understand how much. Some of you, it's not a fear thing for you, but it's huge for me. It is huge for me every day to wake up and and to, to keep saying, yes, we can do this. 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 God can use you. God can use me because the enemy wants me to be full of fear in the financial resistance or the people resistance or whatever the struggle is we face. See, we need to ask ourselves two key questions when we're facing resistance. Number one, what is my resistance to? Is it to serving? Is it to giving? Is it to belonging? Is it to believing? What are you facing resistance to do? But then maybe the more important question is, where does the resistance come from? If you're getting resistance from the enemy, don't be surprised by that. You're always going to get resistance from the enemy. Are you getting resistance from your soul? Maybe maybe you've been beat down. Maybe there's insecurity. Maybe there's wounds. Maybe there's something in you that says, I I can't do anything important for God. God can't use me. I've done too much wrong. Maybe there's something in your soul that is the resistance. Maybe the resistance is your lifestyle. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to belong because all of those would impinge upon my comfort zone or my priorities or my schedule or my spending or my whatever. You see, fear always comes from self-preservation. Did you guys know that? Fear comes from self-preservation. When you have nothing to lose, you have nothing to fear. But when you have something to lose, now you have something to fear. See, what I have to face is every day when I wake up and I am dealing with fear, what I have to lose is my pride. Is that okay for me to be that transparent? Because y'all didn't look at me like that was a comfortable thought. What I struggle with is knowing that I've got over 600 people that are trusting what I am saying, and that will make me very afraid. Because what if I fail? What would those 600 people think? 
Maybe God is telling you you need faith to give. Your fear is that you won't have enough or that your lifestyle would have to change. So you preserve your own way. Maybe God's telling you to go out and lead something that would require faith, but you have fear that you would fail. You're actually preserving your pride, just like me. Maybe God's telling you to have faith, to step out, lead a life group, to get close to people, to be vulnerable. And you have a fear that you'll be hurt or disappointed, so you're preserving your feelings. Whenever we allow the resistance to stop us, it's out of self-preservation. Our fear is always about self-preservation. But I've got some good news. Faith is contagious. You see, if we stand in faith, faith is contagious. Check this out. When Nehemiah finally got there and he told the people what was going on in chapter 2, he said, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Look around. Look how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, come on, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then I told them how the hand of my God had had been upon me for good. And so the words the king had spoken and the king's given us all this stuff. I've told them about the favor of God in my life. And they were so inspired by my faith and by what God is doing. They said, all right, let us build. Let us rise up and build. Faith is contagious. That's all we need right now. Don't do it. But we need somebody to start to rush the stage saying, we can do this. We've got the money. We can reach people. I can teach what I know about Jesus. We can change the world. That's what we need. Because everybody else will go, yeah. But fear is also contagious. And when we sit and go, I don't know. Then the person beside you goes, yeah, I don't know either. How about you? Yeah, I don't know either. Fear is contagious. Faith is contagious. And we right now are at a point as a church where we have to make a decision. What are we going to let spread in our family? It's a choice. It's a conscious decision to say we will stand in faith. We will stand in faith. There will be someone new to come to this church and I can sit down with them and teach them what I know. I've never done it before. I'm afraid, but I will not let fear rule me. I will do this. We have to decide what we're going to be. But I'm going to tell you the painful truth. We will be as a church what we are as individuals. Do you understand? We cannot be together what we are not individually. Grace life will not change the world if those who make up grace life are afraid to take steps of faith. We have to do the simple thing like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you missed last week, said, I'm not a leader, because he wasn't. I'm not a priest, because he wasn't. I'm not a bricklayer, because he wasn't. I'm not a contractor, because he wasn't. I'm not a wall builder, because he wasn't. But I'm going to do something anyway, because he had faith. See, that's what we have to do if we want to change the world. We have to stop believing what we think we're capable of and believe in faith what God will do through us. Which leads us to my final point, faith presses on you see faith presses on despite what you encounter because well that's what makes it faith right and so nehemiah in chapter 4 jump on over there verse 16 from that day, or let me just back up and tell you what's happened so sanballat and tobiah they've decided they're, they're not going to have this 
welfare of the Jewish people. They're not going to have this wall going up. And they're going to do something to stop it. And so people have started attacking them and coming against them and ridiculing them and speaking things against them and spreading lies and all kinds of things. And so here's what happens. It says, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears and the shields and the bows and coats of mail. Wow, not only is he not a wall builder, a brick mason, and a contractor, he's not a soldier. He's not a warrior. And yet, where did he find himself? And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Can you just see that? Somebody carrying bricks and a sword at the same time. Kind of a fearful sight. I'll wait. I'll drop these on your head or I'll cut it off. Sorry. If I could be honest with you, I'm going to tell you the leadership at Grace Life in the last few months, especially since 2018, has just discovered a whole new level of fight while you build. I mean, everything the enemy could throw at us, he honestly has at every level. And I'm not talking about fighting with people. That's, that's not at all. I'm talking about fighting against the forces of darkness that stand against what we're trying to accomplish. You see, Ephesians 6 tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, we actually wrestle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Those words are very important. Against this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. You see, here's the truth that I need you to know if you call Grace Life your home church. You should know what you are doing, and here's what you are doing. We are taking the most significant forward step to confront the forces of evil in Northeast Columbia that we have since the day we started the church. Twelve years ago, we faced significant resistance when we tried to start a new church in this community. And since then, we've seen countless salvations and lives changed. It's been amazing. But now we are starting to do something that really has the enemy's attention more than any other time. For years, we've preached and we've met and we've preached and we've met and we've preached and we've met and we've grown and that's frustrated the enemy, but we've gotten an equal level of resistance to it. But now we're going to do something that's going to allow us to impact thousands for decades to come. And I'm just telling you, the enemy is not happy. The enemy is not happy. We are facing pushback, but we will not stop because faith presses on. So, what am I asking you to do? We ask you the same two questions that we asked last week. Last week, as we looked at the idea of becoming aware of a problem, getting a burden to do something about it, and then doing something, we said there are two questions we want everyone at Grace Life to ask. The first one is, how would you want me to serve? And the second is, how would you want me to give? But I'm going to change those questions today. As you can see right behind me here, I want them to be this. Ask God how he'd want you to serve that would require faith. Ask God how he'd want you to give that would require faith. It occurred to me, I was listening to another sermon. I was on a trip, so I was driving. I listened to a podcast in my car, and I was listening to uh, another pastor preach something. And as he was talking about doing something in faith, uh, it hit me about a month ago. My life does not require faith. And I bet I'm not the only one in this room. It doesn't require faith. And again, I don't know if I'm being too vulnerable today, but I can talk. I'm good at it. I'm really good at it. Sometimes I make more sense than others, but I don't actually have to pray for 10 hours a week 
that God will put words together for me on Sunday morning. I do ask him to anoint me. Don't misunderstand. But I, I could get up here and, and just kind of get my way through things. I mean, I made an A one time on a book report in school on a book I'd never read. That's, I'm just good at talking. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It doesn't really require faith for me to do this. It should. Don't, are y'all understand what I'm saying? But it doesn't require faith. I can put something together and get up here and talk pretty well. I mean, it's God's word. It kind of stands on its own. The good stuff's already there. I can, it doesn't require faith for me to get out of bed every day. I'm not diagnosed with anything that says I'm not going to wake up the next day. I have two cars. I don't have to pray. Somebody's going to help me get to work. It doesn't require faith. I've got a set salary. It's going to be the same every month. I've got a budget every month. I've got bills automatically paid out of my bank account. I don't even know I'm paying them. I mean, seriously. Has it occurred to you that maybe your life also doesn't take faith? We just get up and we go about it. And we just do what we're doing. And we've, we've never stopped to say, God, would you like me to do something that actually would make me uncomfortable? That I would actually think, I can't do that unless you show up. But that is the very thing I'm asking us to do. That's what I'm asking us to do. We're going to touch lives. We said it last week. The building is a tool. We need the building. The building is important. But once we get there, it's people who touch people. We're going to need to serve in a way that requires faith. We're going to need to get together with another person with your knees shaking and your palms sweating going, I don't know if somebody, I don't know if what I'm going to say is even going to make sense. I don't, I don't know if, if, if they're ever going to come back. We're going to need somebody who says, I, I don't know if I can handle kids, but I'm going to try to serve and help those kids, whatever it is. Somebody who knows that they're talented to sing and play, but they're afraid to be on a stage. They're going to have to let their palms sweat a little bit and get on stage and do something. And then, yes, we're going to have to give in a step that would require faith. So what's next for us? Well, first of all, we're most excited for today. You guys know what's happening today? Come on. Yep. 3.30 p.m. today, 3.30 at our new building. 3.30 at our new building. We're going to get to pray and, and to have a worship time asking God to finish what he started. That we're, we're kind of like Nehemiah. We've headed home and then we've run into some resistance. But we're not going to let that stop. And, and it's going to be spiritually important for us to come together as a family, stand in that place and say, God, finish what you began. And, and there's a huge spiritual importance to being able to write prayers inside the walls that are going to be there as long as the building is there to make those declarations. God, this is what I want to see happen in this building. And, and writing his word and, and verses and prayers and things. It's just it's spiritually important for us to go over there and do that today. And then next week, we're going to finish up our series. The last thing we're going to talk about, Nehemiah, but we're also going to have our third lap is the way we've been calling it. We've been doing laps as we go through this. It's going to be our last year kickoff offering uh, and commitments um, so let's talk about where we are. Let's look at these uh, slides here. Uh, let's go. Well, yeah, that's lap three. So as you've seen, we had lap one and two. That's the way we're thinking about it. It's a three-year race. It's a three-lap race. We finished the first two. We've already come with a million dollars. We bought the building. We've got construction started, right? And so here's where we are, lap three. What we want to finish is these things on the screen. As we've said before, we're doing lap three in cash. And so our move-in date right now is supposed to be August. And I think most of us are thinking, is that when the builders are going to be finished? Yes, but that's not the only thing you need to be thinking. Because we're moving in when the builders are finished and when we've paid for what's got to be done. 
Those two go together. There is a financial need for us to accomplish on this time. And the reason I keep saying this is a family moment is the same thing. You've got a budget for your family and you choose a certain amount that you're gonna spend on clothes and on food and on movies and on vacation. And then if you decided as a family you wanted to renovate your house, it would cost extra money outside of that normal budget. Does that make sense? Because you would still have to wear clothes, I hope. And you would still need to buy food. That's very important. And so I wanna make sure you understand what we're doing. We are building a building. Is it okay to just like make sure we don't get too far here? We're still building a church, but we are building a building. And that's why we're deciding as a family to do something that requires that extra effort. That's, it's just the way that it works. So I want to close with this thought. You got to cooperate. You guys ready to engage and do this with me? Raise your hand if your experience with Grace Life Church has come through this building. That's going to be almost every hand here because we've been here for 10 years. Maybe in this building you became a follower of Jesus or you were baptized or someone in your family did one of those too. Maybe in this building you've grown in your faith. Maybe your marriage is better off. Maybe you've made friends with somebody. Maybe you found a way to serve that makes you feel like your life matters. Now I just want you to imagine with me. Fast forward five years maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. And imagine all the hands that will be raised because of that building. The lives that will be touched only if we do move from here to there. We double, triple, quadruple as we expand the seating that we have now. We had a family when we began this that had that very thought in mind. I'm gonna tell you the truth, I didn't expect anything from them. Two years ago when we were kicking this off, they were army. And they had just gotten orders. They were leaving. As they're packing their house, we are talking about building ours. And so I thought, God bless you. See you later. It was nice while you were here. And I was shocked when we did that first Sunday in March, or the, that first giving Sunday uh, offering. They gave $10,000. 10000 They were leaving because of one very simple truth. It wasn't about what the building would do for them. It was about what they believed Grace Life could do through the building. I don't mean to over-spiritualize it, but God will use that tool to change lives. Our ultimate point for these three weeks is very simple. The best way for us to build beyond ourselves is to be a part of something that changes eternity. We believe the local church is one of the best ways to do that. If you believe that, if that is a burden you share, then I'm going to ask you to ask God, what is your part? Amen? Amen? I want to close the day by talking to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. I've said over and over, we're having a family moment. See, it's a family moment because we all not only worship together as this family, but we're a part of God's family on the earth. And that means that someday when our life on earth is over, we are going to heaven to be a part of a great heavenly, spiritual, eternal family because we recognize who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was for every single one of us to say, thank you. Thank you that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. Because he made a way for us, as imperfect as we are, to be right with God. And it's through his death, not our performance. We'll never be good enough. So if you have yet to 
say that to Jesus. If you've yet to make him your king, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or embarrass you in any way. But if you would, right where you're seated, would you join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.